This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're looking uh, tonight at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Tell you what, before you, uh, you go there, let's go to Genesis 4, which actually is the passage referred to in, in Hebrews 11. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and then go to Hebrews. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Which I would simply point out the similarity with that in uh, Genesis chapter 3, 16 of the description of the woman's relationship now to her husband in this fallen condition. Similarity of the language there. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now we turn to Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 4. We read, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that we've read tonight and pray that as we study it together that your spirit would teach us, Father, that we would love you more and that we would indeed live by faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When was the last time that worship quickened your pulse? When was the last time that you were so engrossed in worship that you were distracted from other things. 
rather than the other way around. When was the last time that you came to church with a sense of anticipation of meeting with God? This morning? Last month? Last year? Never? When was it? Well, there may be all kinds of reasons if that hasn't happened recently or ever. Uh, we tend to place the blame in all kinds of places. The, the preacher can't preach. You know, the, the, the choir can't sing. The pianist can't piano. Whatever uh, the reason might be. Uh, and yet, to find the real answer to that question, you don't have to look out here or over here or up here. You need to look in here. You need to look at your heart. You see, the writer of Hebrews is making a case in in chapter 11 here that we should live by faith in the person of God, the promises of God, live by faith in the word of God. We take God at his word and live accordingly. We believe God's promises and we live by them even when we don't see them fulfilled right away or even see how they can be fulfilled. To our way of thinking, they're impossible, and yet we take God at his word because we know that he's God, and because we know that he who promised is faithful. Now, as Hebrews 11 starts out, it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The the assurance, the certainty of things that we're hoping for, God has promised, But also, as he says, the conviction of things not seen, that we hold a conviction about those things that is just as certain as if we had seen them with our own eyes. And we have, not with our physical eyes, with eyes of the heart, eyes of faith. And so we are convinced of the truth of those things. We are convinced of the inevitability of those things that God has promised. And that's what God commends in these people that we read about, these Old Testament folks here in chapter 11. These people were not perfect. Most of them had pretty glaring flaws. Uh, and yet they're pointed to because of their, their persevering faith, their dogged faith, their undaunted faith in, in, in obeying God and believing his word, their willingness to hang tough in tough times, their, their obedience to God and his word when disobedience, when unfaithfulness would have been easier. That's what they are commended for, this faith, this assurance of things hoped for, this conviction about things that are unseen. And as he's listing these, that's that's the kind of faith that he's trying to illustrate that he's talking about here. Now, as we saw last time, he starts out by kind of describing faith, um, defining it in the first three verses. Well, now in verse four, goes to the first person he talks about, and that's Abel. Adam and Eve's number two child. And specifically, the nature of Abel's faith as it has to do with worship, worshiping God. And as we look at verse 4, there are three things we want to notice here that he says about Abel. First, he says, by faith, and of course that's, that's sort of the Repeated refrain throughout chapter 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, someone did something by faith. 
this happened. Well, that's what he says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Uh, some translations render it a better sacrifice. ESV renders it a more acceptable sacrifice. Well, it was more acceptable than it was certainly a better sacrifice. But the question is, and maybe as we read, as we read uh, Genesis 4 earlier, or maybe as you've read it before, uh, the thought may strike you, why? Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's? Well, there's some hints to that, I think, in Genesis 4, and certainly I think some hint to the answer to that here in this passage. Uh, after all, each, each of the men gave an offering that was suitable for his job, for his vocation. Abel, uh, a shepherd, was around animals. That's what he had. So he offers an animal. Cain was a farmer, and he offers produce. Um, why accept what Abel offered and not Cain? Well, a lot of people have wondered about that, and a lot of people have written various ideas about that and, and, and why one and not the other. Here are some ideas, some suggestions. Uh, God just likes shepherds more than farmers. Of course, the problem with that is why did he make Adam the first man a farmer? His, his job was to till the ground, work the soil. Genesis 2:15. the Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and care for it. He didn't place him in the flock of Eden, but the Garden of Eden. So it's obviously not God prefers uh, uh, shepherds over farmers. Number two, another idea, is that animal sacrifices were better than plant offerings. Well, if you look at the law, which came later, certainly there was plenty of provision for um, for animal sacrifices. And at the same time, there were provisions for grain offerings. Both could be offered to God in various situations, and both were acceptable to God. Kind of along the same line, some have said, well, it's, it's a blood sacrifice. An animal died as opposed to uh, a, a grain or, or vegetation kind of sacrifice. Now, there's, there, there's a lot obviously involved in, in a blood sacrifice, uh, particularly uh, as it points to Jesus and his death on the cross. I mean, a plant does sort of die to, to be an offering, but not quite like an animal does. Uh, so there, there is something to that, and yet that doesn't really seem to get at the heart of what's going on here. Uh, some have said, well, it's just a mystery. It's just God's election. He chose Abel over Cain, and, and that's, that's the way it is. Now, it is true that choosing Abel and accepting his offering over Cain does sort of foreshadow a trend you find later where, uh, for example, with Jacob and Esau, God chooses the younger over the elder. He, he reverses the normal human situation where Esau, as the elder son, would have the place of preeminence, priority, and yet it's uh, Jacob who is, is chosen, or it's, it's Joseph who has the place of preeminence over his older brothers, and there's something to that, and yet uh, that's sort of going out on a limb with this passage. Um, some suggest, uh, especially with an eye toward verse 4 here, that God chose uh, one over the other, accepted the offering of one over the other, because he knew their hearts, saw their motivation. Uh, and there's something to that. Uh, also, um, some have suggested, well, 
you know, the text seems to kind of hint that, that Cain just brought some vegetables or he just brought some grain, just something there. Whereas it seems to indicate Abel brought something really good. In other words, Abel gave his best. Cain just sort of threw something out there for God. Uh, and there are a lot of people that favor that one, that favor that interpretation. Um, you know, the, the way it reads does seem to sort of hint, hint at that and indicate that. But what about it? What are we, what are we to come up with? Well, I'd have to say, if you look at those, and it's probably one or more of those, I, I think it would have to be a combination maybe of the last two, uh, having to do with the motivation, having to do with their hearts that also resulted in the kind of offering that they gave. Abel's faith, prompts him to give of the best of what he had. Uh, and his faith sanctifies that. His faith makes that acceptable to God. It was the outward expression of a, of a submissive, an obedient, and believing heart. Cain, on the other hand, if his offering was in any way indifferent, and that's not absolutely certain, um, but it does seem more likely that either way, his offering was, was one of, a, uh, of an indifferent heart. Not not one given in faith, not one given in joy. God accepting Abel's offering because it was given in faith from a believing heart, rejecting Cain's because it may have been a mediocre offering and it came from an unenthusiastic heart. Now, Cain also seems to, from what we read in Genesis 4, have something of a sin-entangled heart. You know, he's angry. He's angry that God does not accept his offering. He's angry with his brother, resentful toward his brother because of what happens. And God immediately comes to Cain and, and addresses sin in his heart. If you look at Genesis chapter 4, it, it becomes fairly evident Cain has some sort of heart problem that has interfered with his worship, with his offering. Cain is very angry. And the Lord says, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? This look of dismay. This look of, you know, it's, there's no joy on his face. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, remember we said back in, in verse 16, uh, 316, when, when God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you that it seems to imply sort of a perversion of their created roles. Her desire will be to control or maybe subtly rule over her husband. Uh, his desire, uh, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Maybe with the implication of, of there's a harshness there, rather than the loving, sacrificial rule and leadership that he should play. And rather than her submitting to encouraging his leadership, her desire is for him, he rules over her. Well, the same thing is, is used here to describe sin and Cain. The same kind of language, which I think reinforces that understanding of Genesis 3.16. Uh, sin is crouching at the door. It's like an animal poised you know, to spring, to attack. Its desire, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It wants to control you. But you need to rule it. You need to control it. And certainly if you're dealing with sin, it's okay to, go, to, to be harsh in dealing with it. 
Not with your wife, but with sin, yes. To rule over it. To gain control of it. To, to suppress it. To put it down. To win. So it becomes fairly evident that Cain has a heart problem here that the Lord warns him about. He says he needs to deal with this or it's only going to get worse. And that may have led to him sort of just offering a half-hearted, mediocre offering to the Lord that was not acceptable, that did not honor, didn't please the Lord. Well, that brings us back to this question of worship. When you worship God this morning, you worship God here, where's your heart? Where is your heart in relationship to your worship? In other words, for example, singing in our hymns this morning. Were you a Cain or an Abel? You say, well, I can't sing very well. Well, that's not really the question. The, the point is, was it your best voice? Was it enthusiastic? Was it an expression of your heart's devotion to God, an adoration of God? Or were you just sort of throwing out something because you're here and you have to and you really find your heart's just not in it? Or in prayer. Yes, it's sometimes the mind wanders. We, 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 that happens. We know that. But were you involved in the prayer? Were you listening? Were you praying along? Or were you really planning your afternoon? What kind of worship are you offering to the Lord? In reading Scripture, do you savor the syllables as God's Word? Or do you sit there and just think about other things, pay attention to what else may be going on around, wondering if the service is going to end on time or not? In worship, where is your heart? Are you a Cain? Are you an Abel in your worship? The point isn't whether, I think, whether it's meat or vegetable, whether it's an animal offering or a grain offering, it really all got back to the heart. Did you get, give your best to God because you love Him, consider Him worthy of your best? Did you worship Him in faith, trusting in Him, looking to Him? Abel did. By faith, Cain didn't. You know, Jesus illustrates this, this, this whole matter of the heart in worship in Luke chapter 21, you know, with the, the widow and the, the, the two pennies that she puts into the offering. It was interesting, Jesus is there in the temple and he's watching people put their offerings into the collection box. And with the rich, it wasn't hard to miss because apparently they did it with a great deal of fanfare, uh, drawing attention, a real flourish. Uh, because they wanted people to see how much they loved God and how much they were giving and to be impressed with them. And then this widow comes by, and Jesus is watching this, and this widow comes up to the box and she drops in her two pennies. The widow's might, you know. And Jesus sees that. Now, he's seen all these big gifts going into the box, and now he sees this poor woman come up and put in her two pennies. And as Jesus say, well, I'm sorry, ma'am, that's just not good enough. No. Jesus says something that blows the minds of those who hear. He says to them, I assure you, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. You can imagine that raised some eyebrows. Huh? And he explains, they've given a tiny part of their surplus. 
But she has given everything she has, all she has to live on. That required faith. Faith that God would supply what she had just put into that box and what she needed, but out of love for God, devotion to Him, faith in Him, she puts in those two pennies. And so Jesus commends her. Now, no doubt the temple needed the large gifts to function. Point is that those were, not that those weren't appreciated, but that Jesus was more impressed with the woman who gave in faith, even though in terms of a sheer number, an absolute number, it wasn't impressive. It was impressive by a percentage. Someone else may have given half a percent of of what they had. She gave a hundred percent of what she had. And Jesus it was impressed with that, and he commends that. Like Abel, she gave in faith. Well, that's true, certainly, Sunday morning, Sunday evening worship, but it's true through the week. That our whole life is, in, in, in an informal sense, an act of worship to God. You know, Paul admonishes the Corinthians, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or sing the 23rd Psalm, do it all to the glory of God. Men's retreat yesterday. Hal was talking about that. Some he says, whatever you do, everything you do, uh, even the most trivial things, you do uh, with a reason, with an intention, and certainly one overriding reason for whatever we do that may even seem trivial is you're doing it for the glory of God, consciously uh, to, to, to bring Him glory. What Cain did was objectionable. Our careless, our indifferent worship is objectionable to God. Now, we come in Christ. It's not our performance. It's not our righteousness. It's Jesus. He's our righteousness. And yet, is God pleased when we just go through the motions? Is God pleased when we're really indifferent to it all? Now, the second thing that he mentions here, uh, not only by faith Abel offered a better or a more acceptable sacrifice in, in, in worshiping God, But by faith, therefore, he was a righteous man. We see this uh, in the middle of verse 4. Through which, through this offering or, or, or through the sacrifice, he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Now, Scripture notes Abel's righteousness in a couple other places besides this one. One is in Matthew 23. Jesus makes reference to righteous Abel. Uh, in his first letter, the Apostle John tells us, Cain killed Abel because he had been doing what was wrong, and Abel had been doing what was right. So Abel is commended as a righteous man, certainly here, but in other places as well. But you see, you can't separate the offering from the man. You can't separate the gift from the man. The gift was accepted because the man was accepted. God's pleasure in his offering indicates God's pleasure in the man. When God spoke well of Abel's offering, he was acknowledging Abel's right standing with him by faith. It wasn't just this one act of faith that Abel offers his his sacrifice. It was faith in God generally. It was a devotion to God, a trust in God, by which he was righteous, Ultimately, because of Jesus, even that early on, his righteousness was 
the result of the finished work of Christ, just as yours is and mine is, although Abel obviously didn't know the details like we do. But he was righteous by faith. And because the man was righteous, the offering was righteous. Because the man was accepted, the offering is accepted. And so the, the key thing here is to recognize that no works, no matter how enthusiastic or fervent our going through the, 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 uh, the form of worship may be, no works can please God until we ourselves are received into his favor by faith in Christ Jesus. A person can't just come in and sing the hymns enthusiastically and really get into the praying and really listen to the preaching and be pleasing to God unless they're already acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. He's commending the righteousness of Abel. And because Abel himself was righteous, his offering was righteous. No amount of good works can ever make us right with God. See, no amount of good works will ever make up for all our sins. Jesus alone can make us right with God. Jesus alone can make our worship acceptable to God, whether individually or as a group. And so that's where Abel was. Abel was living by faith. And so, as verse 4 says, he is a righteous man, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. By faith, he offers a better sacrifice. By faith, he was a righteous man. But also, the third thing he mentions here at the end of verse 4 is that by faith, Abel left a lasting testimony. After all, we're here talking about him in 2011, a long time later. Uh, it says, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, it's interesting in Genesis 4, when God comes and confronts Cain about what he'd done, he says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. What was that blood saying? Well, perhaps it was crying out to be avenged, crying out for justice, just like the souls of those who were killed for Christ's sake in Revelation cry out from under the altar uh, are, are seeking to be avenged. They're, they're those who had been slain because of the Word of God. But the main idea here <clears throat> has to do with the fact of Abel's speaking, in a sense, to later generations of God's people. That though he's dead, he still speaks. That dead men do tell tales. The blood of Abel still bears witness to the life of righteousness by Faith. What does he say to us? What testimony does he bear to us? Well, there's several things. That we come to God by faith, not by works. That we accept and obey God's revelation above our own preferences and ideas and our own will. That sin is severely punished. Cain was banished. He was sent out. Uh, because he didn't want to repent. He didn't want to take God's admonition and, and deal with his his heart. The blood of Abel still preaches the necessity of being right with God through faith, specifically faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a testimony. Through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel's not alone in that. There are plenty of saints, God's people who've lived through the ages, lived faithfully, uh, whom we know about. 
whose, whose biographies we read, whose works we, we, we read and ponder and learn from, they've been dead a long time. But their lives still speak. Their words still speak. And there are those who uh, maybe aren't as well known, but to their children or to their grandchildren, their faithful testimony still bears witness to the grace of God and righteousness by faith. And we're not able, but we are those who, who follow in that same faith that he had. And it's worth raising the question, what will your testimony be? When you are dead, will your life, will the record of your faithfulness still speak? To those who knew you, to your friends, to your children, to your grandchildren. Will they see in you a life that bears witness to righteousness by faith, just as Abel, though dead, still speaks? And he died a very long time ago, but he still testifies of the grace of God and righteousness by faith. What will your testimony be as well? So let's go back and look at this as a context of worship. Do you come to worship with a sense of righteousness and acceptance before God that can only come through living faith in Christ? Do you come to worship with a sense of anticipation, a sense of excitement that you are meeting with the living God, the God of your salvation? Do you come into worship ready to pour yourself heart and soul into the worship of God? Do you worship by faith? Do you live by faith? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of Abel. Uh, though he is dead, he still speaks. And Father, we pray that we would heed the message of Cain and certainly the, or Abel and certainly the difference with Cain in his hardness of heart. Father, we pray that our hearts would be always receptive to your word, submissive to you, trusting in you, and Lord, worshiping, whether here formally and corporately or informally as we live our daily lives, uh, worshiping you, trusting in you, bringing glory to you, giving up daily offerings of, of praise to you, and that they would be acceptable to you as we are acceptable to you in Christ Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.